Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Paper Captains. So I'm flying solo. PJ's on a mountain retreat, um, and I just thought, look, Caper Captains only takes ten minutes. There's no need to wait for him to return. I'll just kind of quickly, you know, do it myself. So we're on our Agatha Christie's, and what we're actually reviewing this month is Mrs. McGinty's Dead. Now, Mrs. McGinty's Dead is obviously it's you know obviously it's an Agatha Christie. It is also a Poirot. So we did a Poirot last time. We introduced Poirot. Um, and what we're doing this time is we're moving on to a later, um, you know, a later uh, Poirot book. It's not necessarily, you know, following in order or anything like that. This one jumps quite a bit. Um, because in these later Poirot books, he is no longer with uh, Hastings, with Captain Hastings, who we met. Uh, in the later books, Hastings is gone. You see Poirot a little bit more on his own. Um, and also sometimes with Mrs. Oliver, who does in fact appear in this one. So this one's 1952. So it is about 30 years actually uh, later than the, the 31 years after the Mysterious Affair of Styles that we reviewed last time. Um, so, you know, I guess she got bored of having exactly the same formula with Hastings and, and doing the Holmes and Watson uh, duo kind of thing, you know. So, and she goes on after this. I mean, there's more. She writes more books right up till uh, really the early 70s, you know. So um, we, we don't worry that Poirot's disappearing, but he does kind of disappear. She gets fed up with him, you know, if I'm being really honest. And in 61, The Pale Horse, she even gives um, Mrs. Oliver her own book. Um, but let's, let's get started. So we have Mrs. McGinty's Dead. Now, like a lot of Agatha Christie's, this is based around a nursery rhyme. You know, a lot of her, her book titles are. Um, and so we get it in uh, in this one, we get that it is based on a nursery rhyme as well. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? And there's a part in the book where, where a girl, a lady says that. And she says, sticking her neck out, just like I. Which apparently is not exactly the rhyme but was accurate for what happened in the book because, you know, she then dies. But let's take a step back, okay? So we open with a retired Poirot reminiscing, missing his work and missing Hastings, but with no real interest in anything. A certain superintendent, Spence, arrives and asks Poirot to help him um, with the McGinty case. Okay, so... What happens is, Mrs. McGinty's been found dead, and her neighbour has been accused. So, kind of neighbour stroke um, tenant. Okay, he's been accused, simply because he was kind of the only person assumed to kind of be there, to be on the spot, you know, to be around. Um, and 
some money was stolen, £30. I guess that was a lot back then. And they think, you know, he stole the money because it's stashed outside the house, so no one actually makes off with the money. And he's got some blood on his cuff and, you know, some hair. But actually, it turns out, you know, that's uh, not conclusive. Okay. There's no signs of a break-in. The neighbours are ruled out. This happens in most Agatha Christie books. They rule out a lot of people straight away and there's only, you know, half a dozen suspects at best. Um, So here's what we have. We've got the chap living there. We've got the niece and her husband. But it turns out they were at the cinema miles away at the time of the killing. And then this lodger, who's called James, uh, by the way. They find out that he actually found her dead the night before. And Jizzy was too scared to say anything. Hence the blood stains. Spence ran this case and got James convicted based on the evidence. Because that's what he believed was his job. But now he doesn't want to see James hanged. Because at this point they were still hanging in the UK. He doesn't want to see James hanged. Because he doesn't really think he did it. So he goes to Poirot and says, look, I've done my job. Can you get him off? He goes to see the niece and the husband. Uh, niece seems fine. Husband's perhaps a little too eager to cooperate. Not sure why, but, you know, whatever. He might have unrelated stuff going on that he doesn't want a detective in. Uh, the murder weapon was some kind of meat cleaver. Something like that. Um, bash over the head. Murder weapon never found. Okay, wasn't on James. No one had it. Poirot wonders if actually James is the victim, if someone's trying to frame him. And that's that's the introductory uh, part, then, of the novel. So Poirot goes to make inquiries, and he says, Look, we've, we've got to do this before the guy's hanged, so I've got to be quick. Let's just pretend I know a lot and see who gets scared. James is a quiet, shy sort. Nobody thinks that he would kill. But everyone accepted that he did, out of character. <laughs> Except for one girl in his office, who seems to like him. Okay. And Poirot is very disappointed with his ego because nobody knows who he is when he introduces himself. And he's very sad about that. Let's look at the clues then. McGinty seemed okay prior to the event. No forewarnings of anything like that. She bought some ink at the post office to write a letter with, which was out of character for her. And she picked some mint in her garden. Not all these may be clues, but these are the things that Poirot looks at. She didn't usually find uh, that she would write letters, but Poirot finds that she's also cut something out of a newspaper about some women, and where are they now? And these are all women who were engaged, not in crimes. Some of them, their husbands were the criminals, you know, they might have been the victim, but it was women who had some kind of links to a crime, and it was a, where are they now? Okay, so Poirot then decides, let's go to speak to all the people McGinty worked for, because she would go one day here and one day there to do a bit of cleaning in the neighbourhood. So he wants to go and see who all she worked for. So let's bring in some um, some quotations, okay? So I've given you the Mrs. McGinty's Dead um, quotation already. The next one is actually not important, but I just it struck me as interesting. Poirot's going and looking through her, her personal belongings, and he says, With a feeling of pity, he lifted out the contents, so eloquent in the revelation of a woman who was dead. A rather worn, long black coat, two woolen jumpers... A coat and skirt, stockings, no underwear. Presumably Bessie Brunt, Bessie Birch, that's the niece, had taken those for her own wear. Two, pair, two pairs of shoes wrapped in a newspaper, 
a brush and comb, worn but clean, old dented silverback mirror, photograph in a leather frame of a wedding pair dressed in the style of 30 years ago, picture of Mrs. McGinty and her, and her husband, presumably, two picture postcards of Margate, a china dog, a receipt torn out of a paper for making vegetable marrow jam, another piece dealing with flying saucers on a sensational note, a third clipping dealt with Mother Shipton's prophecies, a Bible, and a prayer book. Weird, weird mix of belongings, but also weird that these would be her only belongings and a startlingly little amount of clothing. Um, but what shocks me is that the niece would have taken her underwear for her own use. What the hell is going on with that? <laughs> and he says there are no handbags or gloves. Presumably they'd also been taken or, or, or given away or whatever. Now, Poirot goes and talks to all the people, as I say. And he reports back to Spence. And he says, well, I have a problem. I've made inquiries. And the result is this. The people who live in Broadhinney are all very nice people. That has, before now, been a motive for murder. They're all very nice people. That is his conclusion. Okay. So. Let's see. We have this chap, Mr. Weatherby. And he's with, his obviously, his wife and her daughter. It's not actually his uh, daughter, so stepfather situation. And uh, he comes home. That seems to me rather remarkable, he said. The woman met her death some months ago, and although she worked here, we have no information concerning her or her family. If we had done, we would have given it to the police, blah, blah, blah. There's a finality in his tone, so he's basically saying to go away, Poirot. Lunch, I presume, will be ready in a quarter of an hour, because he's just returned home and expects his lunch 15 minutes later. And his lunch, I, I, I'm afraid it may be rather late today, and his eyebrows rise. Indeed? Why, may I ask? Frida has been rather busy. My dear Deidre, I hate to remind you, but the task of running the household devolves on you. I should appreciate a little more punctuality. Who are these people? Why were people like this? <laughs> this is just so formal, so... And that is the stereotype in most of these type of Agatha Christie books. These are very common character archetypes. But anyway. Act 1 closes with Poirot... Well... Let's see. He almost gets hit by a car. And who should get out of the car but ditzy old Mrs. Oliver, the crime writer. Mrs. Oliver based on Agatha Christie herself. And she always says, now, if a woman were at the head of Scotland Yard, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So So we speak to a doctor. We speak to a playwright and his mum. And we speak to the politician and his rude wife. All the people then, as well as the Weatherbees, um, that, that McGinty had worked for. And we learn that she was a bit nosy, gossipy, she talked a lot. And the rude woman says that she probably lied a lot. But that's not really known or, you know, confirmed. Okay. And the way Act 1 then closes is that Poirot um, almost gets pushed off a train. And that's how he knows he's on the right track. He thinks someone tried to kill him. So one of these people... Are guilty that he's you know that he's spoken to. By the way, I should say, you know, he doesn't die or anything. Someone catches him, but Mrs. Oliver is irrelevant in this. She does she says very little. I don't know why she's shoehorned in. Okay. So someone goes out in disguise as an electrician to talk to the people and get a bit more info that maybe Poirot wouldn't be able to get himself. And then Mrs. Oliver goes and talks to a few people um, as well. Okay. 
Now, at his doing, um, sorry, at his lodgings, Poirot finds a sugar hammer, which he thinks maybe that was the weapon. But his landlady's so so ditzy as well that she doesn't know where it came from or whose it is, and everything's misplaced all over the you know the show. And she says, "Well, I got it from Weatherby." Um, with the stepdaughter, but maybe I got it, you know, at this time, and maybe I got it at that time, and there's some confusion about whether she got it at the same, there's a, a harvest sale or a Christmas sale, and the murder took place in between. So, was it hers at the time of the murder, or was it Weatherby's? It's very unclear. Um, so, Poirot goes and talks to all these people. And I'm going to leave it there. You can decide for yourself who you think did it. Was it James? Was it the niece looking for the money? Was it... Um, you know, the doctor in the town, or, or, or Weatherby. Uh, what does Mrs. Oliver find out? She's talking to the playwright. He's trying to put on a play version of one of her uh, novels. He's living there with his old mum. And, of course, there's all these curious ties to these criminal women uh, of the past. And they start to wonder, are one of these women here? Was that why McGinty was writing a letter? Did she recognise one of these women? And is there some kind of tie-in there? And then, of course, there's more murder and everything starts to unravel. It's a bit of a messy one, this, to be honest. It's not it's not her best work. Um, but, you know, if you like Agatha Christie and you want to try a later one, it is uh, it is certainly an, a novel that you could, you could try. You know, it's decent. It's decent. That's us on Caper Captains. Don't forget all of our bonus content. We've got the Film Fellows, the Renaissance Renaissance, the Playboys, and, of course, the main thing is the, the primary... Books Boys show itself. All the links, of course, on booksboys.com. And if you're listening here on Patreon, thank you very much for supporting us. You're my best friend, and I love you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.